1: Addie
2: is truly an American girl. Her experiences of of moving from being an enslaved person to a free person really help incorporate what the promise of America is. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. Hello, hello, ICYMI hive. Yes. I am still refusing to use I C Y M I guys because I don't like rhyming puns unless it's Cockney slang, and even then it's it's iffy. It's iffy. I hope all y'all are doing as well as possible in this in the most interminable month of the year. January always seems to go on for way too long. Um, speaking of things that have gone on for a long time, a little update on the co-host search. It is it's still going on, just just like January. Yes, we are working very hard to get me and y'all a consistent co-host. In fact, I think it's pretty much our only resolution for 2023. Hopefully good news will be coming soon. But in the meantime, I do want to thank y'all once again for sticking around during this transitional period, which has been weirder and longer than I think any of us planned for. But, you know, that's life. Weird and long. That's enough housekeeping. Back to more important topics like um, my childhood. Yes, we're talking about my childhood today. Y'all are going to be my therapist. Not really, because we're talking about a very specific part of my childhood, which is the American Girl dolls. We've talked about them before, back when their Instagram account accidentally outed one of their dolls as gay. But somehow, these historical dolls continue to cause discourse, The Discourse's time is a lot less fun, but before we get into that, for those of y'all who are unfamiliar, the American Girl doll line was created in 1986 by a writer, educator, and fellow history nerd named Pleasant Rowland. She created this line of dolls that explore a ton of different historical settings whose backstories young girls could explore with historical fiction companion books about these characters. One of those dolls, and the very first black doll, is Addie Walker. And in her first book, She's Enslaved, her parents are planning to escape to the North, but before they can, Addie's brother and father are sold to another plantation owner. So Addie and her mother make the journey to Philadelphia alone. Over the course of this series, Addie and her family are eventually reunited in the North. And these books formed, I would say, approximately 30% of my childhood consciousness before Twilight took over the other 70%. And there's a few reasons for for the Addie Walker. There's there's no reason for the Twilight. I can't explain that. But the reasons for the Addie Walker is because my mom loved American Girl dolls because they were some of the first to have black dolls both in their historical line and in the customizable doll line. We made so many pilgrimages to the American Girl doll store, which in my childhood is known as Mecca. And the second reason to no one's surprise, is I was and remain a huge history nerd. And if you wanted to read historical fiction as a Black child that had other Black children in it, you were probably going to read about slavery. Despite that, or maybe because of that, I read Addie's story over and over again because these were characters that felt real to me. Her mother, her brother, her father... Addie experienced trauma, but she also experienced a lot of normal preteen girl things like struggling to fit in and the joy of making a real friend. So it was kind of a surprise to me when I realized that not everyone remembered Addie as fondly as I did. Last week, a tweet went viral that read, I still can't believe American Girl thought this was representation, and representation is in quotes. And along with this tweet was a photo of none other than Addie Walker. So that is what we are here to talk about And no, I am not referring to myself as the royal we. After a short break, I will be joined by Ayesha Harris, a culture critic and co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and author of a 2016 slate piece that reported out the origins and making of Addie Walker. I'm so excited to talk to her, and I know y'all are in for a treat. And I'm back with Aisha Harris, co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and one of, honestly, my favorite cultural critics. Aisha, hello. Welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here. I love the show so much. This is an honor.
2: (laughs) This is, it's an honor for me, honestly. Um, I feel like, I mean, since you listen to the show, you probably know what my first question is going to be, which is, what's your first internet memory? Oh, uh,
3: I should have had this prepared. Um, so I think my first internet memory is probably the Nickelodeon like website. When I was wow. a kid, yeah, it was yeah. probably one of the earliest, you know, I was maybe eight or nine, probably by the time I first went on the internet. Um, and that would have been the mid to late 90s. And so, yeah, I, I the Nickelodeon website, they had games, they had trivia. It was like a lot of Rugrats and, you know, I think uh, all that and like all all of the big kid shows on that uh, network at the time had their own sort of uh, corresponding
2: online games um, mm-hmm. so I just
3: I just remember playing
2: those games a lot those adobe flash player games were truly the most fun I think Seriously. I've ever had on the internet like I've been trying to recreate that feeling ever since I know I know it's it was it was
3: such a glorious time it was it was when everything was so still in its infancy the, the, the youth
2: mm-hmm. does not have any idea <laughs> They don't understand. All they have is discourse. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of discourse, that is, in fact, why you were here. Because, you know, you were kind of involved in some discourse. I had some very smart thoughts on some discourse that recently came across my Twitter feed. Um, On January 17th of 2023, which is this year, which is still crazy to say, Mm. um, (laughs) a tweet went viral, which... I kind of feel like that's how every new horror movie should start, is a tweet went viral. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But this tweet said, I still can't believe American Girl thought this was representation, with representation in air quotes. And along with this tweet was a photo of the Addie Walker American Girl doll. So before we get into, you know, the discourse that sparked off, I want to hear your own personal history with the Addie doll. What were your feelings on her growing up?
3: Okay, so I think my feelings as a kid were exactly that that tweets that original Mm. tweets feelings, (laughs) which was, you know, I was actually, I was five years old when the doll was first released. And so I got one of the original ones for Christmas. It was a big deal. I had all the books, I read all the books. And so on the one hand, I was very happy to see a doll that looked like me and have it be added to this collection that I already was familiar with the American Girl dolls. But in my household, my parents were not buying me a, bl- a white doll. It was like, mm-hmm. nope, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I had to wait until the Addie doll came along. And then she came along and she was in, in, in an enslaved person in the first book. And then the the point of the series is that she and her mother uh, and her younger sister eventually escape out of slavery and establish themselves in Philadelphia. So it's it's a story of... of um, the opposite of Kanye, you know, saying, you know, <laughs> that that slavery was a choice. Like, this was the – it was empowering in many ways. But when you're a little black kid like myself growing up in the 90s who was at a predominantly white school and, mm. you know, it was always very uncomfortable for me when we were talking about slavery just to, to think of the fact that my ancestors were probably enslaved. It was like a double-edged sword and it was both – It was nice to have a doll that had hair that was sort of similar to mine. And then it was also kind of like, but why is our only choice – Someone who was born into slavery. Ah! So, yeah, that that was my experience with it. And then, you know, I, I, as with most, most toys and most dolls, I only played with it for a little while and then, like, I moved on to other things. So, like, it wasn't something that really I necessarily carried with me, but I guess I did because then I wound up writing about it some years later for Slate, which yeah. <laughs> which which we'll get into, which is how I got involved. And uh, involved feels like a, a, a strong word. I don't know if I was involved so much as just, like, I added to the discourse and then My tweet went viral in a way that I've never seen any of my tweets ever before go viral. So that was interesting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we will definitely get into that. But I... Kind of had a similar experience, although I was very much a child who loved history. And so I think that these books kind of hit at the perfect time for me. I was reading them along with like the Dear America series, which also had some stories from enslaved people. But there's this image from the first Addie Walker book that is burned into my brain. Like I can literally picture holding this book in my hand where an overseer makes Addie eat a bug off of a tobacco plant. And I think it seems like these that make her, as you described in your 2016 slate piece, exploring the history of the doll, a polarizing figure. What was it like reporting that story out, like, I mean, a few decades after you would play <laughs> with this doll and you had these already, I guess, complicated emotions about this, this figure?
3: Yeah, so... The reason I wrote this piece back when I was at Slate, and I can't believe this was seven years ago now, <laughs> but um, was the, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but this was a time when American Girl had announced that they were releasing their next black uh, historical doll named Melody. And she was a young black girl who grew up in Detroit in the 60s. And so it seemed like the perfect occasion to reflect and look back on their first black historical doll um and in between there had only been one other black historical doll um that was like put out i think around 2011 and then quickly retired or like after a few years so this was only melody was only the third black historical doll and addie was the she was the origin you know and so it was really interesting to actually go back and and this was probably one of the most deeply reported pieces I've ever written. And it was it, it, it was a lot of going through, you know, Nexus Lexus archives and stuff that I love to do, which is just like looking at old news clippings and those things, I um, am tr- trying to get a sense of how this, this doll was received. And then when I learned that there was actually an entire advisory board that the uh, Pleasant Company, which was what American Girl was originally called, um, named after Pleasant Roland, the creator of. The, the company, to know that they put together an entire advisory board to create the doll because they were clearly aware of the optics and aware of what they had to do, the challenges they were going to face, really put it into a different context for me because it, it, it didn't just make addie this sort of thoughtless experiment that the, or this like very naked attempt at a cash grab. I mean, of course it's a business. They were trying to make money. But at the same time, there's a lot of thought put into it. And this advisory board is actually really impressive.
2: It had mm. Lonnie Bunch, who, you know, oh. was a curator at the Smithsonian. Yeah. He's like the president of the Blacksonian now.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, there's also Violet Harris, who is this child's literature and Black American children's literature expert. Janet Sims Wood, who was a librarian and scholar at Howard. These were academic scholars, curators, all these people who were steeped in Black American history and also were very, um, very sensitive to the idea that this was going to be Black American history being sold to children and especially to Black children. Um, And so it was so interesting to be able to talk to some of those people who were on the board and talk to some of the people who were around at the company who worked on the 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 doll and its creation and really get a sense of how they created this series and that it wasn't just, they put so much thought into it right down to her hair texture, to the gap in her teeth, to just like whether or not the N-word would be used. All of those things were, were involved. And so um, it was really fascinating to look back and it really put This into deeper context to me and made her to me more than just a quote unquote slave doll, which is how I had seen her before.
2: Yeah. When you say it made her more than just a slave doll, could you talk a little bit more about that? Like, were there any, were you surprised by how you felt at the end of the piece? Yeah. I mean,
3: I had so much more respect for it. And I also, just with the hindsight of being an older, person who was no longer sort of <laughs> concerned about what white people think about me mm, um mm. <laughs> which was so much of the issue I think as like when I was a kid and I don't fault any kid for feeling that way but once you take a step back and you realize that first we should not be ashamed to be to have been enslaved because that wasn't again Kanye wasn't a choice yep. this is not <laughs> Yeah. So, so, like, why why am I the one who should be ashamed? Like, there was no reason for me to be ashamed. And, and so being able to to understand that, I think, was really helpful. And then also just to, to point out, like, yeah, she was an enslaved person. But at the same time, there was something very empowering about it. And I, I really admire the kids who were able to see that. Um, there are some women who are around my age who I spoke with, who black and white, who had the doll or had experiences with the doll or the book series itself. And they talked about how, like, it was interesting to see how my perspective as a kid, which was, uh, why do we have to be bogged down with slavery? Felicity just wants to ride her horses. And like everyone, everyone else has these very <laughs> yeah. frivolous, all the white characters have their these very frivolous, mostly frivolous, yeah. like ambitions. And of course she gets saddled with, uh, being a- enslaved and like, you know, carefree black girl. We want that. Why can't black girl magic? Um, (laughs) And then – but then to have that perspective sort of switched over where some women who I spoke with were like, actually, I liked that her story was like way more interesting and more important than just wanting to ride horses. That was actually Mm -hmm. empowering. That was cool. So, I mean, it's kind of similar to a feeling I had when Princess and the Frog came out where – I was very happy that she was a black princess. They've Disney finally had their first black princess. But then I was like, well, why is she working all the time? And it's not like she's not quite like Cinderella. And it was and, and, and also she's a frog for most of it. So like, mm-hmm. yes, we have a black princess, but she's also a frog for half of it. But then when I look back and I'm just like, you know what? I get it. That there the the problem is not the doll itself or the problem is not the princess itself. It's the fact that that was the only option at the time, yeah. And so that's why when I when I say like just a slave doll, like just a slave doll, which was how I thought of her before, um, I really had to move past that. And I think this piece that I wrote really helped me to do that. Um, and it also just peels back the layers of how Pleasant Company slash American Girl created the dolls in the first place, because I don't think there had really been a place that had uh, or a piece that had really broken down their process. And so it was really mm. interesting to to learn all of that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite slate pieces. I really go back to it so often because Addie was one of these like really pivotal figures in my childhood. She was one of my only black dolls at the time. And I, again, was a huge nerd. So these books meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So whenever (laughs) this discourse comes around, I'm always just... I don't know how to describe it. It's one of those feelings where I'm like, I'm not going to get involved, but I'm definitely going to watch and see what happens. So... It happens kind of like every couple years, right? Every (laughs) six months, (laughs) it feels like. That was actually my next question, which is why do you think that is? Like, why do you think this comes up so often? (laughs) It's kind of shocking, especially I think as adults, I would feel like we would kind of get to the place that you described where we're like, a lot of work went into this. It... It kind of directly contravenes the sentiment I see behind movies like *Prince of Egypt*, where everyone's like, they as- they got a they amassed this huge board of scholars from like Islam and Christianity and Judaism to make sure that it is good, and the music also slaps. And <laughs> then you get Addy, and people are like, she's just a slave doll, and I'm like, what are we doing here,
3: <laughs> dude? Dude, I think it's it's kind of twofold. I think for one thing, a lot of people just still genuinely don't know how the American doll girls were created. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when the piece came out, I definitely got a lot of feedback, but I don't know if it was the type of thing where it got, it went super viral the first time around. So, you know, unless you're Googling, I think now if you Google American girl Addie, the piece does come up. But um, I think just, you know, it's the cycle where, People just don't learn these things. It doesn't get passed on. And so I think it's coming from a place of, I have no idea how these dolls are made. But then it's also just, it's the internet. And everyone just likes to, you know, I, look, I've been guilty of it too. Just say, remember this thing from our childhood? How screwed up is that? Uh <laughs> And it's like, well, on the one hand, of course, because time progresses, and we hopefully get a little bit better about these things. So yeah, it's not going to look as great. But then, oftentimes, people like to do that and with no historical context whatsoever. And it just really bugs me because like, before you tweet it, at least Google and see if maybe like, I have actually done that before where I've I've thought about tweeting something snarky or something, you know, critiquing something. And I was like, but let me Google this to make sure I'm remembering it correctly or to make sure like there's no nothing I'm missing or that I'm calling someone white who's actually not white. Like, you know, oh. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, Google your friend and Google is your friend. <laughs> and I think too often people just want to really point the finger at their, you know, the things of their childhood and not really think about it's just too easy these days to say oh this is terrible like people were so racist back then or blah 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 when it's like it's always way more complicated than that just like it is now you know
2: yes it is (laughs) it is and I'm so excited to keep talking about all the ways in which it continues to be so complicated but first we need to take a short break when we come back Aisha will still be here with me and we'll keep talking about the discourse TM TM
0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new
2: reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on a new Slate podcast, including this one, your favorite one, in case you missed it. You'll be supporting the show. I see why would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. And you will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Big Moon, Little Moon. You will also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. That's really important this week because it's Advice Week, a week all about advice. Don't you want to read all that advice? Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And I'm back with Aisha Harris. Before the break, we were talking about the discourse around Addie Walker and American Girl Doll. And it reminds me actually a lot of a similar, but not quite the same discourse where people will say they're tired of movies about slavery or movies about black trauma. <sighs> yeah. And I'm sure you get this question a lot <laughs> as a culture critic, but Based on your side, I have a feeling what the answer to this question is, but what feeling does that discourse, like, evoke in you? Because on one hand, there's, seems for me, there's always a sympathy in that I understand when I was younger how this felt, but I'm also just, it feels reductive in the same way that white people talking about Black people feels reductive, where you're not engaging with it fully. Mm -hmm. Reductive is such a great word because... It's
3: 2023 now. And in 2023, look, I know stuff is disappearing from the internet all the time. We cannot trust anyone. HBO Max. (laughs) You are. R.I.P. World for some reason. I know. There's so many things that you can't find on the internet. But there are also so many things that you can find that you couldn't find 20 years ago. So, you know, look, I was I definitely rolled my eyes at certain things about slavery. Like I still have not been able to bring myself to watch Emancipation. I don't know when I will. I'm just like, I don't, uh, you know? No, no, I'm not. yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm not going to go on the internet and then say, I'm so tired of slave movies because there are so many other things you can watch now. There are so many smaller indies. There are people who are curating these things for you, like black movie. And this this is not just February, not just Black History Month. It happens mm-hmm. all the time now. We have really great people like Maya Cade, who's like a great film historian, who has an entire website where she curates black movies from decades that you may not have even heard of that you can find online. And so I just want people to realize that there is more than just what mainstream Hollywood is selling us. There are independent filmmakers who are making really interesting things. And um, there are, there are ways to find them if you just look
2: a little harder. (laughs) That is such an interesting point of if you just look, because this discourse around both like the Addie doll and about like quote unquote slave movies just feels so dissonant from where we are in terms of like representation discourse, which is also an completely a beast of its own. But it's always so striking to me that a large subset of people are willing to write off something because of, you know, the top line. When... They'll turn around and say, how dare you dismiss this other thing because of the top line. And I don't know, you're very smart. And I just want to hear your feelings (laughs) about like where we are in this moment in terms of like representation and discourse and like why these conversations keep coming up and like the kind of, yeah, the dissonance it feels like they evoke for me at least.
3: Yeah, so I actually get into this a little bit in one of my essays in my forthcoming book. This is where I'm going to plug my book uh, that I've been working on for a while. I was going to (laughs) ask (laughs) about it. Yes, so it's called Wannabe Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. It's part memoir, part cultural criticism, but I actually dig into this a little bit, which is this idea that, you know... (sighs) So I I think that 2016 was kind of a turning point in black uh, culture, black American culture, especially just because when you look back on it, there's so many things that happened in that year and it's not. I don't think any one thing caused it to happen that way. But it's like you have Lemonade, A Seat at the Table, um, Atlanta, like Insecure, all these things premiered or it, Rihanna's auntie, like all of these things happened in 2016. And I think wow. that since then we've seen so much flourishing of black art and black talent. And we could not, I think, live in probably a better time for that black talent to sort of rise to the top. And by the top, I just mean, like, break into the mainstream and get the funding and the support and, like, the Mm -hmm. criticism. There's also so many Black critics working now at various publications. And so... I think that's such a thing to celebrate, and yet so often when I go on the internet, I see people complaining that there aren't enough black critics talking about this. Now, sometimes that's true, but oftentimes, again, you just gotta look because we're out there and we're on Twitter and we're trying to promote these things. Um, you know, oh, there's all Hollywood cares about is slave movies, and like, look, I get it. I'm still pissed off about Green Book. Don't get me started. <laughs> I will never let that, that go. True? But. You know, at the same time, there's so many other movies to counter that. And so I feel as though we've reached a point now where we don't need to complain as much or there has to be a better way to complain or to, like, gripe about these things rather than just, you know, picking at random things and not really exploring maybe why we feel this way about those things. Um, it's, it's, It's kind of frustrating, but I also get it. Because I'm a critic and I watch way more things than most people do, so I also have to just account for that, and I do, I give a little bit of grace for that. But I also just think, like, again, it's the internet; you don't have to say everything on your mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is the logline of Icy My. Just think before you tweet. <laughs> yes,
3: yes, absolutely.
2: <laughs> I do wonder how much of this is kind of algorithmic culture in a way where there's this expectation that something should be served to you in a way where it's Mm. like, if I haven't heard about it, it doesn't exist. Like when people tweet, why aren't news companies covering this? And then they attach a link from a news company covering the thing that they're talking about.
1: I know. It's it's
2: really... I mean, we we live in echo chambers,
3: and I'll be the first to admit that my echo chamber, at least on Twitter, is largely just film Twitter nerds. Um, So, (laughs) you know, I I, I acknowledge that and I get that. But, yeah, it's... it, it it's just such an interesting place to to be at, where we've never had more information at, available at our finger fingertips more readily, and yet we have so many more people who just seem completely uneducated about <laughs>
2: the simplest things. <laughs> it's just, it's so true. Like <laughs> I don't understand it.
3: <laughs> it's it's sad, and it's that's that's the state of our our world right now, and. Yeah. I, I get very tired very quickly with those people who, who like seem to revel in their ignorance. And it's like, yes, my dudes, the, the, inter- the Google's are right there. Wikipedia is right there. And obviously don't stop at Wikipedia, but it's a good starting place.
2: It is. Check those source notes. Check those footnotes at the end. Seriously. Honestly, this reminds me of a tweet that is going to evoke the same feeling of tiredness in you. But it really, I think kind of accurately if not intentionally shows the problem that the Addy discourse has which is they said something along the lines of like the next wave of black historical film or show should take place in like the Harlem Renaissance or the period of time from hidden figures also known as Jim Crow South <laughs> because <laughs> it would it would be less traumatic <laughs> oh God really <laughs> was that an argument people were making yeah. That's That was the argument people were making with the Addie doll, where people were saying that one of the, the dolls should be from an upper-middle-class girl in the Harlem Renaissance.
3: Which <laughs> you're telling me Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes were okay. just
2: happy and didn't have to deal with anything? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so much of this conversation just strikes me as almost a desire for a specific aesthetic more than anything else. Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay, so that's a great theory because
3: I... As someone who will readily admit that anything, it's hard for me to consume a lot of things art-wise that are set before the 20th century, Mm -hmm. Um, I often, you know, my eyes will glaze over sometimes when it's like, especially if it's like a British period piece. I'm like, I can't do British period pieces, generally speaking. I I tend to avoid them. But there is something about that aesthetic, the like, and so the music, because it's like if you're doing the 60s, you can get the... All the 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 typical songs, the Stevie Wonder's, mm-hmm. the Mot- like Motown all over the place. You get the yeah. groovy costumes and all that stuff, and that's not as sexy or like the eighteen hundreds is not as sexy as that, just aesthetically. So I, yeah. I get it, I get it. <laughs> um, but also maybe you need to reevaluate why that why that is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just 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 a small a small thought. I mean it. It almost reads to me as, um, Maya Cade was talking about this when she was on our show about the way Tumblr changed how people consume film in that we look at these screen grabs and people are almost making movies to fit these screen grabs, at least that's the accusation. And that's what (laughs) a lot of the criticism of trauma movies strikes me as is that it's not something you can use as part of your like quote unquote like brand identity. Like you're not going to you're not going to say that, you know, moonlight's not going to be on your mood board. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. No, I mean it's it's strange because the same people who are I guess criticizing the Addie doll and wanting it to be set in the Harlem Renaissance or the the 1960s would probably then go and say if it was that that like oh, it should have been set in the 70s or like the black power movement and it's like I, I look we all know how that ended like it it, it was not well <laughs> did did we, if there's one thing we learn about black history in in any school or most schools at least when I was growing up you did learn about the civil rights movement like if nothing else mm-hmm. and so you know the idea that that would be less traumatizing when I remember my dad sitting me down as a kid and making me watch eyes on the prize the documentary and seeing black people being hosed and attacked with dot by dogs like that's traumatizing too and also mm-hmm. these are history dolls so they're going to have to be set in the past and they're going to have to like the past was not very
2: great for black people i mean even now it's not yeah, always great it's but like... <laughs> even the present it's like i understand the desire for escapism but when it presents itself as almost in direct opposition to the truth it's like, what are we doing? Read a fantasy novel. Those right. exist, <laughs> right? Right. Like, absolutely. So, yeah, it's
3: it's it's frustrating to think that we we, especially people our age or people who did not even live through those time periods, to sort of be reimagining this history. It's just it it doesn't do us any favors, and it really just sugarcoats everything. I'm not saying we need to wallow in the trauma, but like we also have to acknowledge it exists too, right?
2: So we were talking about how you had kind of complicated feelings towards the Addy doll when you were growing up. And I'm wondering how your parents reacted to that. I mean, you were just talking about how your dad showed you eyes on the prize. I remember when my parents showed me Roots and I was like, I can't watch the rest of this. And they very much were like, <laughs> this is your history. And I'm like, I'm eight. <laughs> So, how did your parents react to you being like it's just it's a slave doll? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I ever quite articulate like actually
3: articulated this to them when I was a kid. Um, I think bo- uh, at least my dad I remember being very gung-ho about the doll. And then I think the main reason I wound up not embracing or like I reject I don't I wouldn't say I rejected the doll. It's just I had a short short attention span. And so all dolls, whether they were Addie or the uh Christie doll, the black Barbie doll, um, who was just like Barbie painted black because the <laughs> facial features were exactly the same. Um, I, I did not play that long with them, but I do remember reading all the books and liking the books, and I think the books are kind of what stayed with me more than the doll itself. Yeah. Um, just those stories. And then, of course, as I got a little bit older, I got really into American Girl, like the magazine and that those tended to have black girls represented in them. So whether it was like the cute drawings Mm -hmm. or or on the cover of the magazines. So I, I remember, you know, I feel it was something I probably kept a little bit more to myself than I did Mm -hmm. really say there was no moment where I was just like no dramatic moment where I was just like no I don't want this anymore I don't want this slave doll
2: like that (laughs) didn't happen at least from what I remember that is all the questions I have about Addy and you know Twitter discourse (laughs) thank you so much for joining me
3: (laughs) thank you this is a pleasure I'm so happy to be here
2: All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss an incredible guest like Ayesha Harris. Also, check out her podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your American girl dolls about us. You can follow us on Twitter at Icym underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, why is everyone mad at Addie Walker? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and me, Rachel Hampton. With a special thanks to Sierra spragley ricks Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online or at the American Girl Store.